I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Looking for a way to support The Dinner Party Show? A percentage of any purchase you make through a buy link on thedinnerpartyshow.com will allow us to keep bringing you the show free of charge. If you're an Amazon customer, head to thedinnerpartyshow.com and click on the Amazon Gold Box located in the lower left-hand corner of every page of our site. Do this, and a percentage of each purchase you make at Amazon during that shopping session will support our continued operation. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And now it's time for another episode of The Dinner Party Show. Hi, I'm Beth Grant, and you're listening to The Dinner Party Show with these assholes, Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn, for God's sake. I went to a marvelous party. Most people don't even know the facts. They go with their gut, and the only thing your gut cares about is money. Christopher? This is only going to work if we speak one at a time. Fine. You first, Eric. Live from the Sunset Strip in beautiful West Hollywood, California, it's The Dinner Party Show. The Internet's first live comedy variety show with your hosts, New York Times best-selling authors, Christopher Rice. No, there's actually a new study that confirms every other child you see on the street is a ghost. <laughs> and Eric Shaw Quinn. I don't want to talk too much, but... Okay, we're going to no, no. take up a collection for the stained glass window. Now we want the dirt. <laughs> Featuring reports from their largely unqualified staff of special correspondents... Sex is like Christmas. It's the not knowing what you're going to get that makes it exciting. New York is a giant trash island infested by has-been theater queens. If we're really serious about cutting federal spending, the biggest waste of public funds I can think of is Congress. Two snaps for Jesus! The Dinner Party Show. Everyone gets served. Tonight's live cast is streaming to you live and for free through thedinnerpartyshow.com and our free mobile app. And now, direct from the kitchen by way of the... Get out of my office! It's your hosts, Christopher and Eric! Good evening, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and you're listening to a special episode of The Dinner Party Show for July 19th, 2015. The Dinner Party Show Summer Sampler Series shines a spotlight on our hometown, Hollywood. We've put together some of the best behind-the-scenes, inside Hollywood stories from our three years of gossiping with amazing guests like Barrett Foa, star of CBS's hit NCIS Los Angeles. Brian Fuller, creator of Pushing Daisies, Dead Like Me, and Hannibal. Executive producer Chad Hahn and best-selling author Blake Crouch, co-creators of the hit Fox series, Wayward Pines. Dinner party show favorites like author and television Jill of all trades, Marsha Clark, resident expert writer-producer Jack Morrissey, and Daily Variety deputy editor Ted Johnson. And we'll be talking with Hollywood icon Jackie Collins in an exclusive interview about her upcoming appearance on Sharknado 3. Oh, hell no. No, we really are. Jackie is in Sharknado 3. Oh, hell no. Christopher, are you trying to be difficult? Oh, hell no. 
That's the title, Sharknado 3. Oh, hell no. I just like saying that. I do. I love it. And so we've got an exclusive interview with Jackie Collins, who's going to take us behind the scenes of the upcoming third installment of the Hollywood Horror Summer Camp Fest and talk about her role in front of the camera. Sharknado 3 premieres July 22nd on the Sci-Fi Channel. It's Jackie versus the Sharknado this Wednesday at 9 p.m. 8 central. My money's on Jackie. Every time. Those sharks don't stand a chance. And our exclusive interview with Jackie Collins is coming up later in this show. But first, we kick off tonight's Hooray for Hollywood with the real Hollywood horror stories. Getting started in the business. Dun, dun, dun. That's right. There's no business like show business, and so no two stories about getting started in this business we call show are the same. Indeed. We kick off our getting started stories with one of our favorites from one of our favorites, Brian Fuller. Who surprised us on air once again when he revealed that it was Christopher's mom, dinner party show main dish, Anne Rice, who gave Brian his big break. Okay, so I am a a, a wee young thing in uh, the Lewis Clark Valley, which is Lewiston, Idaho, Clarkston, Washington. And I was obsessed with Interview with the Vampire. It was the... Good. the uh, you were the one. <laughs> I was just... I was the one. I was uh-huh. the one. It was me. Um, and so somehow I got it fixed in my head that I was going to adapt it. I was going to write the screenplay <laughs> based on Interview with the Vampire. And so <clears throat> your parents very foolishly were, were listed. Uh, I know. <laughs> Yes, I do. I know. So I called information in San Mm -hmm. Francisco because in the back of the book it said she was married to Stan Rice Mm -hmm. and called information, asked for Stan Rice. They gave me a number. I called it and your mother answered the phone. (laughs) And what did she say? Uh, You know, I I told her my agenda. You pitched her, really? Yes, I pitched her myself as the writer. And I think she could probably tell that I was a very young man because my voice was particularly high. And so I think she was just like, okay, I'm not going to to shut this one down. But she was so kind, and I basically interviewed her about the writing process and creativity. Mm. And I, you know, was where did you get this from? What is this based on? And she's like, I made it up. I just I kept on making it up. That's what you have to do is you have to make it up. And I think there was there was a great freedom in learning that from somebody as accomplished as as your mother in terms of writing. But she. Uh, gave me the name and number. She's like, well, I have nothing to do with hiring of the writer, so you might want to call Julia Phillips. Here's here's her number. So, I love that story. Did you call Julia? I called Julia. How I was stopped that? Ju- well, okay, I so I called her at her office, and then her that was an old number. Like she had moved, and so then I called another number. That she had they been had asked to leave yeah. politely. Right, right. <laughs> take your lunch uh, and get out. Yes, <laughs> and uh, so I had tracked her down through several people. Who finally somebody gave me her home number. You really persisted. I, I was so How tenacious. old were you when you were doing this? 12, 13. 13. Yeah, like the and testicles was it like had just six dropped. months it before was... you got wow. your first series. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty tenacious. So, I, where did this end up? Did you get her at home? I got Ju- I finally got Julia. I would leave a message for her every day, several times a day, actually. And finally, she picked up. And <laughs> she couldn't take it yeah, anymore. Yeah, she could like, and and I said <laughs> she picked up, and I had left all my information on the machine. I had you know given her all sorts of information, and uh, she finally agreed to. I will talk to you at my office tomorrow if you promise never to call me again, and at this number. And so I did, and she was very kind. She was like, "You're too young. Go to school. Learn huh. how to write. 
and we're never going to give you a screenplay at 13 years old. And Mm -hmm. so it was pretty uh, magnanimous, ultimately, because it was pretty obnoxious. It was an obnoxious invasion. To hear that conversation with Brian, you can download episode 71 from our show archive at thedinnerpartyshow.com or from iTunes. Also, episode 85, 115, 116, (laughs) and 118. We love Brian. That's right. And stay tuned as Brian keeps chipping away at most frequent dinner party show title holder Anne Bryce with seven appearances at the head of the table. Another of our favorite Hollywood insider stories came from actress Heather Matarazzo who told us this tale of terror about how she landed her continuing part on the groundbreaking sitcom Roseanne. Here's here's the behind-the-scenes story. Oh, good. So I was filming, and I hope Roseanne doesn't mind me telling this. <laughs> well, she's probably already um, writing a book about it. So. Well, yeah, because she thinks so much of me. <laughs> Not like meaning that, you know what, she likes me. Um, however, I was... Filming townies on the Carsey Warner lot. And at that time, the Carsey Warner lot was home to Sybil, Roseanne, Third Rock from the Sun, Seinfeld, Grace Under Fire. God, I feel so old telling this story. <laughs> you were very young when you were doing yes, all of this. That's true. Yes, yes. For a child. And Roseanne was on that, you know, lot mm-hmm. and I loved Roseanne, loved her, loved her, loved her, loved her, always loved her. So funny. And every day at lunch, I would get a cup of ramen noodle and I would walk around, you know, the lot. And I went to Roseanne's lot and they had a security guard and I snuck on. And (laughs) good for you. Just like Spielberg used to do. Yeah. Yeah. and, And the line producer recognized me. Her name was Jeanette. I will never forget her as long as I live because she was really, really awesome. And she said, oh, like, this isn't a good day. Why don't you come back tomorrow? Came back the next day. This isn't a good day. Come back tomorrow. (laughs) Went back the next day. And this went on for about a week. And I'm grateful I had the chutzpah I did then. I have a little less of it now. And... Finally, the day came. It was the right day. And what seemed like a mile down this soundstage, and it probably wasn't that long, I heard, hey, hey, you. And it was like <laughs> like the lights turned on and roaches scattered. And I was the only one left standing there. <laughs> and I'm like, me? Yeah, you. And I go over, and she's like, I fucking love you. What are you doing here? I was like, I'm doing Tony's. Why the fuck are you doing that fucking show? <laughs> yeah, that sounds like Why didn't I know you were here? I want you on my show. And I was like, really? Though part of me was already like, is this part of like the Hollywood blah, blah, blah. Right, like, right. Let's do lunch. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, what kind of character do you want to play? And I was like, I want to play a strong, independent woman. That has some problems. <laughs> and how old were you at this time? Like Thirteen. <laughs> Still grabbing that mic, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. And mm-hmm. she was like, "Great." And two or three weeks went by, and I didn't hear anything. And I was like, oh, "Okay." And then I got the call, and I got to do four or five episodes. And there was one particular episode where they're trying to get Roseanne out of bed because she's in a deep depression. And they'd written a scene for just her and I, 
And it just wasn't landing and she didn't like it. She didn't think it was funny. Didn't think it was funny. She'd be like, this isn't funny. I want it written again. And this is this goes back to the point of, you know, the double standards. Mm-hmm. If that was a man doing it, right. like Chuck Lore, I've never met the man and I'm sure he's lovely, mm-hmm. but he's like the biggest person I can think of right. in terms of especially sitcom TV. It, he wouldn't be called a tyrant. He wouldn't right. be called anything except a gifted professional. Mm-hmm. Right. But with Roseanne, she was called difficult and a mm-hmm. diva and hard to work with. But all I saw, and I just tweeted this the other day because we were talking about um, the DGA and their war on women in terms of women not being able to get any directing jobs. And I, I tweeted that, like, Roseanne was... Con- I was told was hard to work with and she was strong and smart and fabulous, but she invited me into her trailer mm-hmm. and we improved the scene. Wow. And I made her laugh. And it was one of and still is one of the highlights of my life. Huh. I bet. And she was like, Yeah, let's just go and improv. And we went and we did that scene, completely improvised it. Perhaps even more terrifying is her description of her death-defying appearance in Eli Roth's horrific Hostel 2. We both shared that we are too big of a ninny to watch Hostel 2. It's fine. <laughs> I <laughs> could is... barely watch it. Oh my God, I can't imagine. Although I would think it would be a lot of fun to be in something like that. I, I wouldn't go, but I think I would love being like, in Like there must be those. a great sense of play in doing a horror movie like that. Um... Yes. <laughs> I don't think so. I will no, you take the reins. No, I'll, I'll say this. Filming that scene took two days. Wow. We were filming in Prague, and there was no mat. It was me. I was hanging between 15 and 20 feet up in the air for 20 minutes at a time. Oh, wait a minute. I so had... there, was, there was literally 15 feet between your head and the ground? Yes. Oh, my God. And... I had practiced on an inversion machine for about a month. Okay. So it wouldn't be getting to film for two minutes and then get me down because I couldn't handle it. Mm -hmm. So I had worked for a month and was able to hang upside down for about 15 to 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And Jesus, my feet were in these straps. And when we first started filming, I started what I thought was my feet was slipping. Oh, God. And I had my hands... You know, wrapped up behind my back and a thing in my mouth. And I was like, I'm going to die. I'm Mm. about to die. And I went into a blackout. Oh. And those two days, here's the really amazing gift. It opened up a new aspect of being – it changed the way I was as an actor. Wow. It clearly opened up a channel that I didn't know was there before or I had glimmers of, but Mm -hmm. it was just whoosh. So I don't really remember any of it. Any of the two days you don't really remember? Don't really remember any of the two days. Um, And when I went to do ADR, which is after the film is over and they have you do, you know, dub your lines for some things that they didn't get on the day. Right. I could not watch that scene. Mm. It was because I wasn't looking at myself. It wasn't me. It was very, very, very strange. Wow. So. And this is a scene for those who don't know the movie. You're being murdered. Yes. You're being tortured and murdered, which is what happens to the backpackers who go to this hostel. And I will say that 
it was banned in three countries, mm-hmm. not because it was so gratuitously violent, but because of what was emanating out of me. Really? Yeah. They said it was your performance that... Um, when Eli Roth went to the MPAA mm-hmm. to get it rated, they had the biggest problem with that scene. Mm-hmm. And he said, why? And they said, it's her, it's, it's her... It's her voice. It's her reaction. It's too much. Wow. And he said, so you're going to punish this actor because her performance is so great? Wow. Um, but the, it's, it's, I've heard this about the MPAA. It really, it, particularly with violent films, it's when they sense the line of separation blurring. And it's like they picked up on what was really going on for you during that scene. To hear more of our Dinner with Heather, you can download episode 110 from our show archive at thedinnerpartyshow.com or from iTunes. And now, on a much, much lighter note, Barrett Foa, star of the hit TV series NCIS Los Angeles, talked about what it took to get on Broadway. Barrett, did you literally say earlier in the show two to four weeks of rehearsal for a Broadway show, that's all you get? Because back in high school, we had like If you're putting it up, like when we put hairspray up before we went to Seattle, we had a we had about a month and a half. Yeah, six mm-hmm. weeks. And then we got to Seattle and we kept rehearsing while we were doing previews. How do y'all memorize but all those lines? When we replace. <laughs> when we replace. So I replaced the lead in Avenue Q. She replaced the lead in Wicked. And it's, you got two um, weeks? I got a month. You did get a month. Oh, because, because there's so much other. I got, oh, you're a puppet. I got two but weeks. I got two weeks. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, you have to le- learn this leading role that never leaves no. the stage. Oh, and also the art of puppetry in two weeks. <laughs> no, no, no. I go. probably got two weeks, but I didn't go on. For, I mean, I think I had a month. I really That's do. That's like if they had said to us, like, we have a writing job for you, but it's in Japanese. So you'll have to learn Japanese and First. write something well. Go. And yeah. then rewrite two weeks. that. And yeah. how was the art of puppetry? The art of puppetry is. so good at it. The other puppetry is it's challenging because it will first first they have to just weed out do you have the puppet gene or not can you <laughs> can you move this is what I call it it's no like one the else same gene that makes like cilantro taste weird it is yeah. it's yes <laughs> this cilantro is soapy <laughs> um the, the it's <laughs> okay there's a there's basically you can either sync up your hand to your mouth or you can't and this is a visual joke so I'm not going to tell it on the radio um but basically. But we should tell yeah. our audience that in Avenue Q, you were on stage with the puppet. On stage on your with arm. the puppet. So not yeah. like Sesame Street, where there's uh, people behind a wall and then you just see a puppet. Right. I was a puppeteer with the puppet in the spotlight, and we were both kind of the character. It's really kind of unique and, and strange yes. and really fun and funny and dirty and really clever. It's a great show. I saw it on yeah. Broadway. Yeah, it's so true. Was- so so, but I had to kind of play catch up because I was doing uh, I was doing puppetry alongside people who have been doing puppetry for 15 years on Sesame Street. Wow. And Golly. suddenly I was like, they're like, you have to be on this level. Go, you know, eight times a week. And, you know, at first it was a little challenging. So you had but the puppet gene? I guess I had the puppet gene. I got the part. I don't know. You can pat your head and rub your <laughs> stomach I, at the same time. I think so. I think so. Sounds pretty terrifying to me. Perhaps Barrett's fellow diner, Broadway diva and recording star Shoshana Bean and Eric summed it up best. So now that it is about getting it out there, what is the, like, this is what we need to do. Is it like mm-hmm. tour? Is mm-hmm. it like radio? What's for the me, goal? I think tour is first because uh, the music I'm very proud of and I think it speaks for itself. However, I am a live performer. I mean, right. 
Broadway thing. Right. I, no, I have to thank for that. Well. But, but my show is a show. It's a production, and it's um. In, I and think I when people experience it, well, thank you, Bear. Yeah. When people experience it, then they understand, and and there's you either love it or you hate it. And um, and so uh, radio would be secondary to that. But to me, I just want to be on the road. I just want to be doing my show. And it, it makes me a little envious because with the author, the indie author world, we lost the venues. You know, we would go oh, to bookstores book sure. and read, sure. and the bookstores are sort of gone. So mm. everything that we do with our product now needs to be happening on the web. It's really. kind of why we're doing the show. Yeah. yeah. Because content is king, but yeah. finding a way to get the content pushed yes. out there, as you said, yes. you got lost in this enormous sea now of content. How do you step forward out? And we that was kind of why we started the Dinner Party Show, was as yeah. a way to, for ourselves and for the people, yeah, for you well, guys, thank God. to There's come something... and find a way to, to, to step up and say, hi, yeah. it's me. Yeah. I think there's something really brilliant about it because it forces people to create their own opportunities to think outside of the box. Before, like you said, there was a very specific way for authors to be heard and seen. There was a very specific way for music artists, you know, and if you didn't get into that, you know, in in that way, then there was no way to, to right. get in at all. So and now you, you said can create. it was limiting. Yes, they were the, the the people who were doing the delivery were also limiting what the product was. Sure, and, they were and saying, if you don't it, fit yeah. in this box. Now it's up to you to get your box out there, so yeah. to speak. Oh, <laughs> that's my motto: get your box out there. <laughs> no gonna... FCC regulations here in the world of internet radio. <laughs> see what I mean? It's so great to be independent. I know. <laughs> To hear more of our evening with Shoshana and Barrett, stream or download episode 18 from the library at thedinnerpartyshow.com or from iTunes. We'll be back with more Hollywood Not So Confidential with gossip and inside stories from the Dinner Party Show vaults right after this. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. The internet is full of people talking about stuff they hate. So on the dinnerpartyshow.com, we've decided to launch a new feature that's all about stuff we love. That's right. It's called Christopher and Eric's Favorites. Each month, we'll recommend a variety of products we just can't live without so that you can enjoy them, too. You can visit Christopher and Eric's favorites at thedinnerpartyshow.com, and that's where you can also sign up for our newsletter and be the first to know when new favorites are added to the site. And remember, if you use any of the buy links on thedinnerpartyshow.com, a percentage of your purchase will help support the operation of the show. The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. We'll be the judge of that. Welcome back to The Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And we're back with Hollywood Not So Confidential, the second installment in our Summer Sampler series. If you want to get to the real Hollywood dirt, you can't do better than to go right for the quarry. And that's what we did when we booked Ted Johnson, deputy editor at the source of all that's worth repeating in Hollywood, Daily Variety. Ted and his former TV Guide colleague and fellow Hollywood insider Tim Williams had all the Hollywood dirt and then some. Try to keep up. You're back with the Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Our guests are Ted Johnson, the deputy sheriff of Variety Magazine. Actually, that's deputy editor. And Tim Williams, one of his former colleagues from TV Guide. And you were saying there are some accusations I... swirling around Ted's history at TV he Guide? He is the deputy sheriff, though, because he's wearing a hat and a badge right now. <laughs> oh, we made him put that that's on. That's oh, a weird sex game reason. that we're playing after the show. Sorry. Absolutely. I got yeah. confused. Yeah, it's all right. Um, it happens. Yeah, Ted had an interesting, and he can go into this a little more more in depth but uh, whenever we would Ted had interviewed a lot of people and a few weeks later he would interview them for TV Guide magazine not just in his personal time and he would interview them and uh, a few weeks later they would die 
And so we, yes, there were there were people was that there were an very investigation? suspicious. There was no investigation. Just just amongst the maybe, celebrities. Is it too late to start. I don't think there was a statute of limitations. <laughs> on that. But I remember Milton Berle. Uh, Ted went and interviewed Milton Berle, and a few weeks later, uh, Mr. Uh, <laughs> Berle died. A couple months later. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because you yes. asked him what he thought of Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> well, you know well, the you know the thing that 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 Milton Berle was right. known for was the size of his yeah. manhood. Oh, that's and, what I've always heard. Yeah. Yes, um, and uh, he had a um, a contest with the great Forrest Tucker on who had the largest. Also member. heard that. Um, who but, won? Do um, we know? I believe Milton Berle won. How was the contest in, conducted? In, that would be what ah! I would like. To <laughs> well, in, I didn't cover the contest. <laughs> no. Well, what did you ask? Ted was then? the judge. I mean, who the hell else cares? Um, but that, when Ted was going to go do the interview, I asked him if he was going to ask that question, if if he could take a look at Milton's. Uh, Best asset. We did not. We and did it not killed him. get. It, yeah. <laughs> and yes, <laughs> he started to take it out, and he passed blood over. loss. Yes, exactly. Blood, blood loss to the brain. Right. He passed out and hit his head. Oh my. We did not. We did not get to. Who that were some topic. of the other celebrities you interviewed and who died? Who were the other yes. celebrities you murdered? Yes. There was actually there was an actress, and I can't remember her name that I interviewed, and uh, she from from the time I interviewed her to the time that the story was published. She passed away. The it's Jessica very Fletcher of yeah. TV Guide. So, yes, and, absolutely. Uh, so, but it is. But that's the fact of life in the media business. We well, have all newspapers have an obit file, and uh, every once in a while you have to write advanced obits, so mm-hmm. they're ready when someone you passes just did away. yours live. I just did mine live. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, so, so the one that I remember is we always <laughs> we had one for a long period of time for Bob Hope. Because you know we were ready to be an old man. Did he make a hundred or did he hit ninety nine? He did make it to a hundred. Yes. And one day, this was probably when he was around ninety nine. Uh, we got a call um, in the office. Uh, maybe it was an internet story, and someone said uh, Bob Hope has just passed away. And um, the editor from the magazine came to my desk and said, "Will you call? Because I dealt with um, some of his people. Will you call over to the the Hope's home?" And ask if this is true, and so I called up, and uh, there was um, there was some, there were, he had a PR person who I think actually lived with them or was at the house. Yes, yes, I think he lived at the house. Okay, and so and he answered the phone, and I said I'd like to find out whether I hate to ask this, but I'd like to find out. We just got um, word that Mr. Hope has passed away. And then the person said, "There's silence," and the person said, "No, I I, I think he's still alive." And I said, okay. I didn't know what to say. I said, okay, could you check? And so he, I heard him put the phone down a little. Bob! Exactly. (laughs) I I heard the footsteps. Click, click, click. The door open. And then him coming back, the footsteps. And then he picked up the phone. Nope, he's still alive. I just pictured That's him going excellent. in there. Are you still alive, Bob? <laughs> That's excellent. Putting a mirror under the nose, a little bit of fog. Okay, yeah. Excellent. To catch up on the dirt from Ted and Tim, you can stream or download episode 10 at thedinnerpartyshow.com or download it for free from iTunes. We've gotten lots of good advice about succeeding in show business from our guests, and we thought we'd pass it along to you. Mad Max creator Terry Hayes had this to say about the advantages of choosing a career in Hollywood over publishing. Uh, Something else that you said in an interview recently about this book is you were maybe a third of the way in when you realized that if it screwed up, there would be nobody else to blame. On a movie, you've always got somewhere to hide. Mm Mm-hmm. You can always blame somebody. 
And we see that. I read the trades, you know, all the time. And people always say, oh, well, you know, of course, the studio didn't give it a decent release or we were right. unlucky that weekend that, you know, some monster film came out or this happened or that happened. You can always make an excuse. They'll blame snow on the East Coast. Yeah, They'll say right. nobody on the East Coast went to see the movie because it was snowing that, that's right. way too hard. Yeah, and, or too yeah. hot. Snow right. on the East Coast, too hot on the West Coast. Right. And that... <laughs> and that um, so... A third of as Christopher says, a third of way through the book, I suddenly realised, dear, 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 I'm in trouble now. Who am I going to blame? There's nobody. There's no composer. There's no cinematographer. There's no crazy actor. There's yeah. no director. It's just me. Terry's fascinating interview was featured in episode 80 of The Dinner Party Show, along with Dinner Party Show regular and former O.J. Simpson prosecutor Marsha Clark, who had this to say about the best way to break into the business. I did like run into a number of booksellers who were very skeptical and say, did you really write this? And they actually, one of them actually wrote to my publisher, the head of the company of Little Brown, and said, I will not carry this book unless you promise me personally in writing that she actually wrote this book. <laughs> and she liked the book. Who I mean, the, the good news is that? she. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, it, <laughs> let's not actually say on the show, but we'll ask later. But wow, that's a oh lot. Oh my god! That's and he really... wrote back. He said, "No, she did. She really did." Yeah. But that's what that just speaks to what you you said. You know, right. people did have. Yeah. But, no, right. Yeah. yeah. So the third one is the Hollywood book, Killer Ambition. Oh, cool. The Hollywood book, and in this one, Rachel Knight, who is our series character, she's right. a DA, and her buddies, the intrepid Detective Bailey Keller of the Robbery Homicide Division, and Tony Lacolette the fashionista um, other special trials prosecutor mm-hmm. and they uh, go to trial excellent go over trial. a Hollywood murder case over a Hollywood murder case they prosecute a big Hollywood power player excellent mm, what a stretch for you Marsha yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really excellent. had to reach on that so one I did so much huh? research I'm just but former DA Marsha had this to say about Hollywood's depiction of serial killers one of our party people, Alan Fogg, has said, uh, Marsha, you've had so much success in several areas, and he'd like to know whether you always plan to try different fields or whether you took the opportunities as they came up. Obviously, we know you don't really like the hosting gig. So. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've nixed one of them. Yeah. No, but, but I did do that. You know, I did. I, I kind of take things as they come along. I didn't expect to do um, different stuff, and I certainly didn't plan to be an author. But mm. I wanted to be a kid when I was a kid. It was a childhood dream to write fiction. I loved murder mysteries, loved Nancy Drew right. and the Hardy Boys. Nancy to be fair, love that stuff, right? Love I, that's Nancy why I was always addicted Drew. to crime, right? And but I never thought I could earn a living at it, right? Absolutely. And then I just kind of did. I mean, cool. I, I finally took the leap because it was one of those things now or never, right? You know, Absolutely, live the dream. You can hear much more from Marsha in episodes 5, 11, 38, and 80, all available for free at thedinnerpartyshow.com in our show archive and through iTunes. Hollywood is a tricky business, and television is perhaps the most confusing of all. Guest Brian Fuller offered this advice on selling a show about serial killers and cannibals to network television. What the pitch was for Hannibal the series? What did you go in there? What was the angle? Because this intellectual. Have I got a show for you, Clark? <laughs> a knife, a small knife. No. Um, it was. It was very much. I. I. With the show, the thing that I was attracted to was the relationship. But I'm fascinated with heterosexual friendships between like male heterosexual friendships huh. because I've always felt outside of them as a as a mm-hmm. as a young gay man. And I didn't get Dukes of Hazard. I was Buck Rogers in Battlestar Galactic. So I didn't understand it. I just felt 
uh, that it was so foreign. And so this show is really my exploration of what it is to be in a non-sexual, hmm. intimate relationship between two men. And that was kind of the pitch, is that we have seen Hannibal Lecter incarcerated. We've seen him as a caged animal, but we've never seen him social. What mm. happens when he has friends? What happens when that friendship starts mm-hmm. to encroach on who he is? And mm-hmm. that's where we're kind of at in this, in this stage of the storytelling. So it was, it was the lost chapter of Hannibal Lecter when he was a practicing psychiatrist. Executive producer, writer, and showrunner Chad Hodge became the exception that proves the rule when he pitched his creepy hit series Wayward Pines by not telling the network executives what it was about. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, We're just very good friends, and we went to Italy together, and on the flight back, I began to read a book called Run by Blake Crouch. Yes. Which was literally, I didn't put the Kindle down for like five hours. He tried to jump off the the plane. It was was absolutely terrifying. This is a novel that he published... um, Later, I believe that same year called Pines, mm-hmm. and yes. you are developing it into a TV series, which will be called Wayward Pines. Which called, yes, yes, yes. Oh and excellent. I'll let you talk about it soon. But I want to say <laughs> first, he wants to okay. talk a lot. It's a concept <laughs> with a twist in the middle of it that is so yeah. good you can't give it away. So it's very hard to. I imagine it's very hard to pitch to people. Which is why I didn't do that. Ah, which genius. is which is why I wrote it as a spec. Yeah, oh, is the so twist smart. in the spec? The twist is not. Oh, yeah, the twist is not in the spec. Um, but that's I, I read when I read Red Pines last summer. A producer brought it to me about two months, I think, before it was published, and I read it in the same way you read Run, like in five hours. I was obsessed. This was amazing. I just could not stop turning the pages. Excellent. Um, and and then I thought, there's no way I can pitch this. There's no way anyone's going to get this. This is so crazy. It has this crazy cliffhanger. It's it, it has a heavy mythology, but not a confusing one. Mm-hmm. But it was it, it it was just one of those shows where I thought I can either go around town for the next month and pitch this, and and have confused faces staring back at me, <laughs> always a with trip. a lot of questions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or I can just spend like three weeks and write. Write the script, write the pilot right. script, and I want because I want these, you know, executives and networks and whatever right. to have the same reaction to my script that I had to the book, mm-hmm. right. which they would not have to a pitch. Right. So I wrote this spec, which does not reveal what the twist is of of, of what Wayward Pines is, in, wow. in, and and you know we we had a lot of interest um, in the, in the show. But did you have and, to in any conversation associated with the script give away the twist? Yes, I did. Yes, you yeah. did. So, so we had several networks interested, and then w- what would happen is, is the ones who were interested, then I would go in and either you know meet with them or have a conference call with them, and and tell them, okay, because they would say, we love this, we're obsessed with this pilot. Then what happens? You know, because of course they have to know right. if they're gonna. So, um, then I would go in and and, <laughs> and then nice talk to them didn't. about it. But they are they're already hooked and they're already passionate about it in the same way that I was Excellent. when I read the book. So that's Brilliant. how so that's how we sold it. And, and M Night Shyamalan is directing it, and um, and. No, baby. You guys. Wow! Yeah, so uh, this is like his first. Is, has he done TV before? He has not. Wow! So he re- did he get interested because of the script, or how yes. did he get attached? Yeah. So when I wow, finished that the script, must be some script. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. Uh, well, you know, I owe a Can't lot to, to Blake Crouch's book, Duh. of course. I mean, you know, um, but but I uh, I gave the book to my agent, and he didn't read it for uh, the script to my agent. He didn't read it for like a week. Really? He's like, you've what got like two, he, yeah. he's like, yeah. you've got like two other things, you know, whatever, whatever. I was like, no, no, you really need to read this. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll read it, I'll read it. 
okay, you really need to read this. And then like three days later at like two in the morning, I got a, a text message from him that was that said, holy fuck, <laughs> what happens next? Yeah. And I was like, that's what you want. That's, that's why I think we're going to sell this. That's what the book is like. And, it, and, and he yeah. maintains that from book to book. He wrote he another book with his brother called Eerie. Yes. That, that is a sim- and the, the genius of what Blake can do is that if you pitch the twist, it would you would think it was utterly ludicrous, but he makes you believe absolutely every second and he completely commits to it. Yeah. There, in a lot of the, the genre that he works in, the sort of paranormal supernatural thriller, there's a lot of wink, 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 it was all a dream, yada yada, you know, and yeah. and I hate that crap. You yeah. would really hate it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he was pointing at me. I was pointing. Although at Laura might hate it too, he was pointing <laughs> at me. I don't hate anything. <laughs> I love all. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> anyway, but it's it's very exciting. We're kind of this is a sort of TV writerly question. Yeah. We're living in the area where you kind of just have to write it yourself, aren't we? Like that's. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's, for me, that's a great way of going about it because you can just write the script you want to write and then they can either buy it or not buy right. it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, luckily I'm in a position where I can afford to, to do that and, some, you know, not everybody is. But, um, yeah, I, I think so. I think that's where it's right. going. Um, and these shorter series, like this is going to be a 12-episode event series, cool. like like a cable Love show those. but on, on network. And, yeah, I, I, I think so that's a lot when of... So where, where are you in the process? Where is it going to be? So When's I'm writing, it going to be? What's going to happen? I'm writing a Bible right now uh-huh. of what the next 11 episodes are uh, for Fox. And, you know, you know, with, with I'm not writing it with Knight, but we're working on it together. Knight, that's what you have that's to call him, by the way. Not M. Not M, not Shyamalan, Knight. I don't know what M not stands Sham-wow. for. Not ShamWow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I call him Shammy Lammy. Yeah. He yeah. told me to, so I just do. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps the best advice on making a name for yourself in Hollywood came out of our conversation with Wayward Pines creators Chad Hodge and best-selling author Blake Crouch. So then Excellent. M. Night Shyamalan comes mm-hmm. along, and I, I'm hearing from inside sources that if you know him personally, you call him Knight. That's correct. Knight, yeah. yes. It was very hard to get used to that at first, and then now it's just... That's what you name. call him, yeah. Exactly. Not nighty, but it, no, no. Right. it was very yeah. strange in yeah. London this week. Everyone was, everyone kept calling him M Knight, right? And it's like, yeah. no, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's Knight. Okay, that's yeah. the risk you run when you right. put an yeah. initial in your name like that. Yeah. <laughs> what are we supposed <laughs> to say? Clings to that first right. name yeah. like a piece of lint. You can't get <laughs> right. rid of. I didn't put it there. <laughs> right. Just saying. Right. You don't want people to use it. Don't bring it up. Well, I couldn't have said it better myself. To hear more of our fascinating conversation with Blake and Chad on the creation of Wayward Pines and working as a writer in Hollywood, you can stream or download episode 112 from thedinnerpartyshow.com or download it directly from iTunes. And coming up next on our Hollywood not-so-confidential edition of The Dinner Party Show, Hollywood legend and prolific best-selling author Jackie Collins gives us the inside scoop on Jackie versus the Sharknado 3. Welcome back to The Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And we are debuting our exclusive new interview with Jackie Collins. <laughs> right? It would hardly be Hollywood Not So Confidential without Jackie. <laughs> and we are here to talk about one thing and one thing only and whatever else Jackie wants to talk about. Okay. Always. Sharknado Oh, hell no. Oh, hell no is right. (laughs) That's what I said when they first mentioned this to me. You're going to be in Sharknado. Well, honey, if you blink, you miss me. (laughs) But I was very tempted because I did do it because they called me up. And, you know, when you write and I write in longhand and I'm very solitary and I'm very disciplined and then you get this offer to do something that's so crazy Mm -hmm. and you think such a 
phenomenon. I know. Then I thought, why not? Just to have a laugh for so a day. Are right. you Jackie Collins? Or? I am Jackie Collins. I said, I will only do it if I can play myself. And I do not get eaten by a shark. <laughs> oh, spoiler alert. So here's the funny thing. Everybody else gets eaten by sharks. Everyone from Mark Cuban to Ann Coulter to Ooh, Rick Fox excellent. to Maria Munonis. I mean, it's, there's so many people marvelous. doing cameo, cameos. Oh, that's marvelous. Yeah. But you live. You're but the surviving I live. I'm right cameo. at the beginning because it takes place in the White House. <laughs> yes. Mark Cuban is playing the president. And Ann Coulter is the vice president. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they're okay. all great in it. They were what having so much riot. fun. Wow. But I just have this little scene with Iron Zeering. Oh. I'm very cool, and I have a fabulous-looking escort, Scotty, mm-hmm. who was Excellent. pulled into the scene. And uh, we just have this little scene together, which is really nice, and it's been so much fun. We shot it at the Natural History Museum okay. downtown. It, right. Which was crazy. <laughs> they made it look like the White House. <laughs> I they know. Do, they do that all the time. There's so many different White Houses in Los Angeles. Do you remember that show, Commander-in-Chief with Gina Davis, where yes. they would walk out the side entrance yes. of the White House, and then yes. the mountains of Pasadena would be visible in the <laughs> Oh, background. I know, I know. <laughs> It's like but there are know, no mountains in Washington, D.C. It's such a cult movie, though. I mean, I, I watched the first two. They're such cult classics. It has classics. become a phenomenon. Yes. Like, it is almost like who's not in it. I feel a little, I like, I feel like a little I shade we'd been that in we it. weren't yeah. in it. Like, I know I, you should have been in it. Well, maybe and the next one. We'll Ian keep our fingers Zering crossed. Is, uh, you know, he takes it very seriously, and he's a very good actor, and he's so sweet on the set. He's right. so nice to everybody, and he's got all these various people who are playing these cameos all in one scene and it's like crazy you know? and it's the most <laughs> ludicrous plot line like tornadoes raining sharks down on the cities of, pe- of it could happen yeah, like downtown. they're landing on people with their mouths open and just swallowing my favorite was that the first one where well, Ian he, he cut himself out of the shark oh, and yeah. swallowed him he was inside of it and he came bursting through with a chainsaw or I something. think that's what amazing. he said when he was first off at the movie he saw oh, that hell and no. said <laughs> oh hell no that's where they got the subtitle I don't know but let's but give a little, it to, a little backstory here. Was the first one didn't do good ratings, but then on social media it exploded. It Everybody started off. tweeting about it. It was yes. that name. It yeah. took off. I it mean, was just it became a phenomenon. And then I started to watch it, and I was completely hooked in. I thought, oh, I'll never watch this, you know. But I was completely hooked in on the first one, and the second one even more so because I love the, you know, the people on the train sitting there having a nice conversation, <laughs> and suddenly a shark enters the train. <laughs> And eat candy gram. You're like, what? Just, yeah. What just happened here? Yeah. But this one is going to be more outrageous. It is really, I guess yeah. it's sci fi's most successful franchise, I guess. I don't know that. It is. I think it is. It's such a phenomenon. I know. So yeah. I was. And you have some history as an actress, right? You started, oh, yeah. I was, was a teenager. In, right? I was always considered myself an out of work writer. On the Saint. I was on the scene. I loved it with the beautiful Roger Moore. I was having this necking scene with Roger Moore in a car, and he had an Italian wife in real life, and she came to the set. Oh, dear. And he had his tongue down my throat, and she's standing there going... Oh, Roger, Roger, who this woman, who this woman, what you doing, why, why, I don't like this, you why, get get on out of here, go, no. It was so funny. Oh my God. And I was on the Avengers, yes. You love the Avengers. Wow. Yes. I was in a lot of things, but I usually played the Italian girl, voluptuous. With the Italian accent, yes. Yeah, you I do a very good Italian accent. Very good just now <laughs> very as Roger Moore's, appearing as Roger but Moore's wife. But I hated wife. it because I wanted to be a writer. I didn't want to be an actress, but I did it for the money. Mm. And it was fun for a while. And 
what it gave me was it gave me great experience, one side of the camera, because now I produce movies and write movies, the other side of the camera. So I know right. what goes on both sides of the camera. Right. I think it gives you real insight as you're Absolutely. writing for it. If you've I been mean, there, that yeah, has to help. Yeah, actually go on interviews and guys would say things like, uh, you know, uh, let's have dinner tonight to discuss the part. And I said, I know what part you want to discuss. Because <laughs> I was very street smart. But I would have girlfriends who would actually go out with these guys and they'd never get the part anyway. Or not that particular role in the movie. <laughs> they right. They'd get a part. role, but yeah. not in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> right? So it was all great experience. So I, I don't regret that I did that. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely not. And I think as an actor, we've talked about it before, I think act, writing is acting. You, I play all of the parts in every book that I write. I, I yes. get into character and then absolutely. I Sometimes, write as those people. Yeah, and in the audio of uh, the Santangelos, I read Lucky. So I'm acting oh, Lucky. Oh, cool. Yeah. Perfect. And we cool. had actors reading the male roles. And oh, then we had uh, little Sidney Poitier, not Big Sydney Poitier, his daughter, <laughs> Little Sydney. We call her Little Sydney. She's six foot. That's so um, sweet. And she read Max, yeah, like excellent. his daughter. And if anyone so wants to know now. more about the Santangelos, they can download episode 119, where we have a, a lot of interview with you talking about that. There. And it's available okay. on yeah. the dinner on our party, website, thedinnerpartyshow.com. Yeah, you can buy it through um, Barnes and Noble or. Or Amazon, Amazon or all of them. We make it available through all of them. Choice. Yeah. It's all available right there. And Absolutely. Help support the show and Jackie. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Because I love my readers. Yes. <laughs> They've been very loyal to me over the years. And that's really something, you know. How many books is it now? 32 books. Oh, my all God. Written, you are my idol. All handwritten. And yes. you said this the last time or the first time you came on the show. Yeah. I forget the exact episode number, but you can go look it up in our iTunes. 103. Eric Shaw Quinn on the case. Yes. You write it on longhand on legal pads, and then when you were done, you bind the legal pads or you have them bound together I have in a them leather bound, bound, bound leather. book? Yeah. So that's really fun. Wow. So and what so you see is what you get. Them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. I was looking at Hollywood Wives There's the other day, and the characters that I created, and that was so much fun. And my, even my first book, The World is Full of Married Men, which was banned everywhere. Mm. Which Boston, nothing Australia. helps sales like getting banned I everywhere. I know. Right? And, you know, Barbara Cartland, I think I told you this before, Barbara Cartland said to me on a, she was a famous romance author oh, in right. England. Oh, yeah, right. Barbara Cartland. And she said to me on the Terry Wogan show in London, she turned to me and she goes, Miss Collins, you are responsible for all the perverts in England. <laughs> You're in charge. I took a long breath and then I said, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And then the book was number one within two weeks. Yeah. Thanks, Barbara Cartland. That could be the name of your chapter in your memoir. Thanks, Barbara Cartland. My favorite was what you said to the queen when you were... Oh, I yes. don't know. What were you? you I were got knighted the, uh, or whatever. I got the OBE, which is the Order of the British Empire, which was a great honor. And uh, I met the Private Queen audience. at Buckingham Palace. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, Miss Collins, I understand you've written many, many books. And I go, yeah, not bad for a school dropout. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's why we have Jackie Collins on the Dinner Party Show. Because you never know what she's, she's going to say She's our royal next. correspondent on right. the Dinner Party Right, yes, show. of course. I have to send Kate a copy of the Sant'Angelo's. Yes, exactly. I will do that, yes. No, I ha- so now the question that's on everybody's minds, will you be in Sharknado 4 since we know that you live? Well, since I'm probably the only character apart from <laughs> Ian who lives... Yeah, why not? Yes. Why not? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, I could I come back it. to save the day. Oh, hell yes. <laughs> oh, hell yes. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> I actually think the next installment should just be Jackie sort of dryly narrating what happened in all the previous Sharknados. That's why I want to hear the Sharknados as interpreted by Jackie on the dinner party show. Oh, I would never do that. I had to do this thing um, for Cher. <laughs> I didn't realize oh. you'd be that serious. You remember when Cher had that song, I Am Woman or something? Anyway, she asked me, her people, people asked me, they said, oh, we're going to do this wonderful thing. You know, all these women are going to read a little bit from the song on camera and it'll be fabulous. And they'll be like Cindy Lauper and, and Chelsea Handler and this one and that one. Wow. And I said, okay, I'll do it. I get to the studio. It's just me. I had to sit there in front of the camera. Did and you go, have to play the part I of Chelsea Handler? No. <laughs> no, I didn't take my job off. <laughs> uh, and I just had to sit there staring at the camera going, yeah, I am, or whatever the song was. I can't even remember Right, it I do. I remember the song. I remember yeah. her singing it 4th of July. But you have to look that up. It's hilarious. Just to, just to revisit my idea, it's more you sort of narrating what you had to see on screen as you it's were like watching Sharknado. It's like the mystery Sharknado. science Yeah, theater. it's sort of Jackie comments yes. on Sharknado. Yes. I think that yes. would okay. be very... That would be yes, a fun sort of absolutely. Jackie, like the commentary you get on a DVD. Yeah, exactly. You can switch on. Well, I, Hear what Jackie Collins thought as she was watching absolutely. this. Click on. Wouldn't yes. that be a fun feature? Uh, the Jackie Collins button on your indeed uh, on your Blu-ray. Blue, Blue well, Jackie, your show's on. I think it's Wednesday, uh, it's, and it, it will be playing constantly. I imagine on the Sci-Fi constantly, Network. Constantly, yes, absolutely. Yes. So, sure to watch the three. beginning because that's where I am. You, watch and as the I beginning. Say, watch quick closely. Quick blink and you miss me. <laughs> yeah, watch in slow mo because you don't want to miss Jackie. <laughs> Thank you again for joining us here on the Dinner Party Show. Come back whenever you would like. We would Always love to have you. Always a pleasure, guys. Always. Absolutely. Thank you, Christopher. Thank you, Eric. Thank Absolutely. you, Jackie. And stay with us for more here on Hollywood Not So Confidential TDPS Summer Sampler 2. The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn, bringing you interviews with some of the hottest celebrities who made the mistake of taking Christopher and Eric's call. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And this Sunday, July 26th, The Dinner Party Show is all about the amazing, generous authors who've graced our table over the years. We'll pause to reflect on their words of wisdom on the Right Answers edition of our TDPS Summer Sampler Series, featuring a mix of exclusive all-new content and highlights from some of our most popular author interviews. This Sunday sampler, Right Answers, offers up insights into the great works and great minds of the literary lights that have illuminated the dinner party show. Jackie Collins, Armistead Maupin, Dan Savage, Patricia Cornwell, and Patricia Nell Warren, to name just a few. And we'll have another 1001 Dark Nights author spotlight featuring an all-new interview with author Larissa Ione as she joins us to talk about Hades, the new novella in her Demonica series. That's this Sunday, July 26th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Right Answers edition of our special TDPS Summer Sampler Series at thedinnerpartyshow.com. The Dinner Party Show, a new live cast, begins airing every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific at thedinnerpartyshow.com or through our free mobile app. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, where all of our shows are available for free anytime you want to listen. The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. If you don't have anything nice to say, 
you'll feel right at home. Welcome back to The Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to the Hollywood not-so-confidential installment of our TDPS Summer Sampler series, where we open the vaults to bring you the best of our years of behind-the-scenes stories from the company town that is home to The Dinner Party Show. We found this interesting snippet from our conversation with The Dinner Party Show's resident expert and regular guest, writer and producer Jack Morrissey. Do you guys think there's anything to this idea that studios just aren't making small, intimate movies anymore? That yes. everything is Pacific Rim or yes. nothing? But and we're that, in the and summer that Pacific of the... Rim has turned into a year-round business. But we're in the summer of The Conjuring and The Purge, right? Two movies that did really well, that didn't cost yeah. very much to make. Both of them Both of them intimate hard. dramas. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> Both of them sucked. <laughs> but not, not let's blow up Tokyo. You know, no, but horror is always a good bet. Cheap horror is always will never go out of. It doesn't cost very much, and it doesn't need stars. Chris, if you're going to write that horror script, just write a cheap. I wrote cheap to produce horror script coming out October 15th called The Heavens Rise. And you've been going to do Squeal for years. I want to do my movie about pigs. Yeah, it's called. It's about a. You know, not where I thought it was. Let me let's let's start here. It's 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 (laughs) if you two can just. Give me a minute for my pitch. Squeal. We like to talk, but we'll be quiet for a second. Squeal is about, uh, you know, pigs have giant corkscrew penises. Uh And so I thought, what about a secret lab, a a big pharma lab that's developing a male fertility drug or male potency drug that's experimenting on pigs and makes their brains bigger. And they get loose with their giant pigs with giant corkscrew penises. Right. And they, you know, they just get on your back and they go to town. And the line is squeal. The other white meat is pissed. Billy now, McIntyre. I, I'm saying this on our show, but this is my idea. I have registered this with the Writers Guild. If anyone steals my pig idea, you're right, going to... You, well, it'll, you'll have this record. We're recording this, so this will right, be a record okay. on, at a particular and let me, time. And, and I'll finish with this, and then I'll let you two go back to your, your highfalutin <laughs> we'll, talk. And we'll let you go back to eating all the Sammies. But they only go after men. So a group of girls go out there, right. there, and they realize that if they lure all their horrible ex-boyfriends out, the pigs will literally, you know... Rape them. Rape them, I think America's ready. Right. I really do. For, for a, rapey pig A movie. stupid movie about raping pigs. Right. And it would be cheap to produce, and God knows you couldn't get stars to be in it. So I the, think the, the pigs would, would be require very some CGI. I don't want to see just rubber pigs. Right. I, I want to see some CGI pigs. <laughs> doesn't, this sound, doesn't this sound like a, uh, like a, rubber a pitch pig. for the... Studio behind Sharknado. Absolutely. We Is are there a studio behind Sharknado? Yeah. Yes. Oh my God. What must the pitch for that have been? Like I just I think I, you saw the pitch. I really <laughs> do. Like I cannot. Like it's one of those things. I don't the think there was a lot. Really? The assistant typed the script as they were pitching yeah. it. Right. And yeah. then the sharks go here and it's a shark and I'll tell you. Tornadoes, this is produced, I think, by a production company starts, called The Asylum who just cranks love these it. out. Yeah. I, yeah, sci-fi has literally created their own. This used to be at the drive-in. Their own drive-in yeah. movie franchise is yeah. on Sharknado sci-fi is having screenings at actual theaters this weekend. Now they I are, believe. yeah, yeah. Yep. Just because of word of mouth, not because of like I can't like I think people just like saying Sharknado and that I think scene it's completely where Ian and the view and the ratings cuts himself reflect out that. Of, Fascinatingly, yeah. there were two side-by-side charts um, measuring. Activity on Twitter versus actual viewership. Right. You could look this up. <laughs> and here's what here's what they both were. Did he just burp? Oh no. no. Okay. I cleared no. my throat. I didn't even that clear my me. throat really. Don't don't do I just yourself. swallowed Christopher Belch's like uh, It's a dinner party. I'm eating. Um actual viewership for the so called Red Wedding on Game of Thrones 
Right. Obviously, actual viewership through the roof. Yeah. Activity on Twitter during those hours during which that episode was initially broadcast, strong, not excessively so. Uh Uh-huh. Over here in Sharknado country, <laughs> activity Sharknado on Twitter during country. the hours in which Sharknado premiered on a Saturday night right. on Sci-Fi Channel, Twitter activity t- blew up. Through Actual viewership, what? 17 people. Right. <laughs> I am really, no one saw it. And... They just all wanted yeah. to get on Twitter and talk about it. All right. To hear the rest of our prediction for the rise of the Sharknado franchise and Jack Morrissey's opinions about pretty much everything else, you can download episodes 9, 37, and 109, all of which feature Jack, and are available at no charge from thedinnerpartyshow.com and, of course, from iTunes. As we draw to a close on our Hollywood Not-So-Confidential edition of our TDPS Summer Sampler series, we wanted to conclude with a bit of Hollywood insider information that we think captures the seriousness and importance of the business we love so much. Here is Broadway star Laura Benanti and successful Hollywood showrunner Chad Hodge to explain how Hollywood really works. Yeah, yeah we would play a game called What Would Amber Do? What Would Amber Do? Yeah. Uh, you know, like, what would Jesus do? Oh, okay. But it was what would Amber do, which was Amber Heard. Because they knew Amber, and G- Jesus is yeah. really much harder to get in he's, touch he's with. Amber Heard. Actually, Amber is harder to get in touch with than Jesus. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Let's be honest. Wow. She's a very busy lady. That Amber. <laughs> she is. We, it, we, basically, she's the most gorgeous person in, in the, the world. world. Mm-hmm. Um, and very, you know, a, 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 a model and an actress and just knows very exactly smart. how to do everything, and people sort of worship her and everything. Like, this is a perfect example of Amber. We go out to dinner with her <laughs> and she's in like some crazy vintage outfit that she like put together in 20 minutes that she bought in some like bazaar in Marrakesh. Yeah. And Chad and I spent an hour and a half putting together our like J. Crew outfit. Yeah. We were feeling okay and this yeah. woman comes up to her, literally stands right in front of Chad and I and is like, I have been admiring your look all evening. Can I take a picture of you? Yeah. Yeah. And Chad and I were just like, we will yeah. never fucking win. We will never we fucking will win. We will never win. We will always be the nerds who listen to cats. It was most, I mean, the thing I remember most with, with what would Amber do with yeah. it was, was Laura and I were invited together to, we, you know, we shot the show in Chicago and we right. were invited to go together to this um, magazine <laughs> yes. party or something, you know, mm-hmm. like a red carpety thing. Uh-huh. And it was like, you know, the red car, the party starts at eight and the red Red carpets at seven, right. and you know, we, we want you guys to show up there together, and to, yeah. we're gonna take pictures. Do stuff, and say so something. Laura and I are, you know, what are you gonna wear? I don't know. What are you gonna wear? And it's like that whole J. Crew thing, and what then, and then it's do? like, well, okay, what t- it, what time should we get there? And Laura's like, well, I mean, the red carpet starts at seven. I feel like we should get there at like six fifty-five. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, nope. I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. Or like seven, we could get there at seven. Mm-hmm. You know, because then we have an hour to. And then we were like, wait, what would Amber do? <laughs> and this is what Amber would do. She would arrive, if That's, at all, yeah. <laughs> an hour and a half late yeah. with like a, a beautiful woman and a beautiful man on her arm. Yeah. And then they and would, who would and they everyone, and who everyone would, they would wait. They would just be her they would, they would be like an artist and like a fire eater. <laughs> Right. That she just met. Exactly. That she just met in, uh, in an elevator. In circus class. And they're married now. And everyone would wait 
for her to get there mm-hmm. and take those pictures, and the mm-hmm. party would not start until yeah. anyway. But she's just she first a, of all, she knows about this. She has she, a sense of yo. Know, she knows this. about what would Amber do. We talked well, to her about I, the other thing th- that I'm admiring about this whole thing is that a lot of people would realize this about somebody they were working with in entertainment and then try to destroy them. Oh no, we yeah, love no. her. Yeah. No, no, no. Like, we realize that we're just like the theater dorks. No, we're we're <laughs> for. She's like the cheerleader, the pretty cheerleader who also yeah. like happens to be very very smart. Mm. So she's like the pretty cheerleader, and we're like the weird nerds who are like we'll never get it. Right. We'll never get it right. Yeah. And they're yeah. also not revealing their plans for revenge on the That's air. true. That's true. There's yeah, a we're plot. not idiots, you they're guys. We're just an end game. <laughs> Amber has gone on in the ensuing three years to star in more than a dozen major Hollywood movies, including The Rum Diaries, Paranoia, and Magic Mike XXL, and to marry Hollywood superstar and dinner party show neighbor Johnny Depp. <laughs> That's right. So if you're looking to succeed in Hollywood, perhaps the best advice we have to offer is to ask yourself, what would Amber do? And remember, Chad and Laura and episode 14, as well as 1 through 120, are available for download free at thedinnerpartyshow.com and on iTunes. So there's hundreds of hours of dinner party shows to tide you over until next Sunday's Summer Sampler, which is Summer Sampler number three. Write Answers, the inside story on writing from the Dinner Party Show's extensive catalog of best-selling author guests. For now, that's it for our TDPS Hollywood Not-So-Confidential Edition. Till next time, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to The Dinner Party Show. Thanks. I've been to a marvelous party.